0: You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we are talking about Victor's Other Family, which originally aired May 9th, 2004, was directed by David Gross, and written by Eric Kaplan. Hi, I'm Jake, and I never forget about fun at other people's expense. And I'm David, and God, I hope the zombies attack today. And before we get into this week's episode, we have our community segment. We have a couple of messages from Teresa on Twitter. One letting us know that we forgot last episode to do our Mrs. Dabney. No, 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 not we. I have the receipts. I have my notes. Mm, I had it
1: written down. Jake forgot. Yeah, but you
0: didn't say it on the podcast, so you still forgot it. That's your job. You you should have brought it up, David. I legitimately, dude, I thought
1: we discussed it.
0: We did not. Uh, So for Dewey's special class, David, who did you choose for your Mrs. Dabney Award? You didn't tell me to save it. Wow. (laughs) Obviously, David. (laughs) I told you we forgot to do it.
1: You didn't tell me we were going to do it like make it up we normally just say hey we suck and move on
0: we've gone back and done awards later on before a couple That's times true. have we oh. yeah listen
1: i don't know who i originally picked but wow
0: <laughs> oh look look who was so prepared <laughs> i had it written down he says
1: i did and then i deleted you, it yeah, when we started yeah, this episode you know who has
0: it written down when it matters me <laughs>
1: Yeah, because you don't get rid of anything. Yeah. You're a pack rat for information. Yeah. Correct. If I did that, my phone would have been full after season one. Okay. Uh, Save it all to the cloud, David. I can't trust the cloud. That's how the government gets you. Eh, they're going to get us anyway, David. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Anyways, thanks for that depressing life update. (laughs) I think I gave it to Lois. Interesting. But I don't, (laughs) that's what I was just, I don't remember. It might've been Hal. Oh no, no, no. no, I definitely gave it to Hal. Hal. I definitely gave it to Hal. I was trying to remember the episode. Yeah. 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 Took me a second. Sorry.
0: for Ignoring like dozens of calls uh, from uh, Dewey's counselor in order to focus on his DDR obsession.
1: (laughs) Oh, mine was because he allowed his jealousy of Craig to ruin his chance of winning the DDR competition. Okay. I'm just making shit up now. I don't know.
0: I I definitely, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It
1: was definitely the other thing, but I thought that would be funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You chose him for being a bad dance partner, not bad dad. That's right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In addition to that, uh, Teresa also left a uh, reply saying, Hey guys, what did you think about the callback to cheerleader from season one? The fact that the Krellboins stay in during recess and have music time. I find it interesting how Malcolm wanted nothing to do with it while Dewey loved it. Which uh, I, I, I like, noted the, like, you know, Krellboins doing music at recess thing, But I didn't really think about the, uh, like, character side of it, to be honest. Until she brought All it right. up. Yeah.
1: I immediately, like, especially with Dewey being the, like, piano savant... Like, I was like, man, like, everything Malcolm hates about being a Krellboy, Dewey would love.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is a really good, like, way of showing the, the like, character differences between the two. I just didn't catch it.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. That, I had that thought. It actually almost won an
0: award for me, so. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Because I thought it was very well done. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. And, it, uh, yeah, it, it's a good callback. Even without thinking about, like, the character stuff, I appreciated it just from, like, a continuity perspective.
1: Right, yeah, especially in a format that really, I mean, let's be honest, a show this successful for this long of this type doesn't normally really have to worry about non-massive continuity things, so it's kind of cool when they do little things like that. Yeah,
0: for sure. Then that just leaves our poll. Looking back on Dewey's special class. Which, uh, we we also, uh, have some arguing going on in the comments of those polls this week. Yeah? Between Luke and Teresa.
1: Oh my. I miss this. (laughs) Man, I need to pay more attention to our Twitter.
0: (laughs) It's been great seeing other people fight about, uh, you know, Malcolm's status. Although it's it's the opposite, as it's uh, Luke's continued defense of Malcolm being argued against as opposed to your consistent shitting on Malcolm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, listen, I'm not shitting on Malcolm. I am simply exposing him for who he is. The fact that
0: he's shitty is not my fault. Wow. But you did, in fact, give him shittiest kid. And as did I for that episode. For his web of lies that he spread and his attempts to cover up that he accidentally got Dewey put into the special education class. Right. And the internet agreed with us. Malcolm won with 66% of the vote, with Reese coming in second and Dewey also getting some votes. Then for Least Shitty Kid, we were also in agreement. We both chose Dewey for standing up for the abuses and you know trying to make their situation better and for redistributing the wealth like a true marxist hero and the internet also agreed with us on that Dewey got 85% of the vote with a lone vote going to Malcolm, presumably from Luke.
1: (laughs) Listen, I'm reading the I'm reading the uh, conversation now between Luke and Teresa, and I have to say, Luke, I greatly appreciate you. I do. I'm so glad you <laughs> listened to this, but I agree with Teresa like a thousand
0: percent. Uh, I I think they. Both make some valid points. I, I Obviously, like, I agree with four. That's the, We right. came to the same conclusion. But I do think Luke has a point that, like, Dewey was really, like, played into having Malcolm over a barrel throughout the I episode.
1: I don't disagree with that.
0: Yeah. I just don't judge it as harshly as he does.
1: Yeah, he's a little brother. I mean... Yeah. You gotta take power where you can, because you can't physically beat him.
0: Well... Tell you learned how to punch someone in the kidneys.
1: Right? Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And then you got to get better at it than them.
0: No, no. You just have to get in one cheap shot. Just uh, you know, one good sucker punch to the kidneys, and you know, no more fighting with your older brother. (laughs) (laughs) You drop him once, and it stops. It's crazy how that works. Not that I'm speaking from experience.
1: (laughs) Yes, he is. Don't let him lie to you. I know exactly
0: what he's talking about. But that wraps up our community segment, so let's get into this week's episode. And it starts, uh, once again, we get a cold open that is also the entirety of the F-plot for the episode. And, uh, it is just Francis standing in the stable talking about, uh, how he is... Fine with this unconventional relationship that uh, is going on here, but that dude ranches tend to have pretty conservative guests, and, you know, people just, uh, won't accept this relationship like he will. Then the camera, like, cuts to a over Francis' shoulder perspective, and, uh, we see that he is talking to a horse and a cow who are in a stable together. That's right, Chick-fil-A will never stand for this. Uh, you're not wrong, David. You're not wrong. (laughs) And uh, Francis uh, leads the horse back to his own stable. And that's all we get of Francis this episode. So uh, from there, we will go to the sort of side plot of this episode, which is centered around Hal and Dewey. And I think you named this the c plot for confession. No? Okay. What did you name it? It's the r plot for race. Okay, fair enough. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Listen, I feel like my names have been very easy to follow, very simple, and man, you're just like really trying to make them these really deep things and I I don't I just I don't think you understand what the purpose of
0: a Name for the plotline is, Jake. You know, Damon, I I really don't at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It starts with Hal confronting Dewey because he found a flyer for a father-son 5K in the trash from Dewey's school. Well, yeah, he
1: wanted to save him the time of pretending he'd be there and then not being there.
0: Yes. And when Hal says, come on, I'm not that bad. Dewey points out that he had recently written and performed a uh, play for his class that Hal missed. And then Hal says, yeah, but I was there when the mayor gave you that award for it. And Dewey says, no, you weren't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I watched the video. (laughs)
0: That's right. And Hal promises Dewey that he will do this race with him, which Dewey, of course, understandably, is very skeptical of. Then we see Hal telling Dewey that he wants to start practicing for this race. He wants to get out there and do some running, but he's looking for their sports bottles first. And Dewey is continuing to be skeptical, sitting at the kitchen table, saying, wow, you're using props now. (laughs) And as he is looking for the sports bottles, Hal finds a fire extinguisher and he pulls it out and he, he's, like, looking at it and he's asking Dewey, oh, when did we get this? And why didn't Lois tell me about it? And as Dewey says, I don't think you should be, Hal sprays himself in the face, like, directly <laughs> in the eyes. For an extended period of time with this fire extinguisher.
1: Yeah, like an exaggerated, continued, just, I'm going to keep spraying myself in the face. Why? Because I can.
0: (laughs) This was deliberate.
1: Okay, interesting take. Look, even Dewey sees... Uh,
0: Yes, Dewey is certain that he has intentionally blinded himself, which, uh... He like expressly calls out it as uh, Dewey is talking on the phone to Lois, like informing her of what happened, saying, "Yeah, he found it. The doctor says it'll be two weeks." <laughs> And Hal has bandages over his eyes. Poor Hal. <laughs> when Dewey talks about how impressive it is, that he, the lengths he's willing to go to, to get out of doing this thing with him, Hal insists that he didn't do it on purpose. That If he wanted to blind himself, there's much easier ways he could have done it. <laughs> well, he's not wrong about that part, Jake. And he tells Dewey that the... Thought that he's going to miss out on this race with him is even more painful than the burning in his corneas. And that's very painful. (laughs) Dewey walks away as Hal, like, sits at the kitchen table, not realizing he's alone as he starts to tell his own story about uh, a time he wanted to go to something with his dad.
1: Wasn't it, like, space camp or something? I can't remember what he says. Maybe that's just automatically what goes to my head.
0: Okay. Did you want to go to space camp, David?
1: No, but I have a friend who tells a story about it all the time.
0: Gotcha. Yeah.
1: So what's funny is, despite the fact that I have plenty of examples of times that I wanted to do stuff and my dad wasn't there, those are never what come to mind for me. I always hear other people's stories.
0: (laughs) Okay, then. Fair enough. But then we go to the race which Hal has followed through on despite his blindness. But he has a leash attached to a harness connected to Dewey, and Dewey is very embarrassed by this, saying, I don't want to do this, Dad. (laughs) But Hal insists, no, no, I'm going through with it, it'll be fine. Then Dewey tells Hal that his shoe is untied, and it's unclear because of the way they frame it, It looks like Hal unintentionally connects himself to the guy's dog that's next to him, but I feel like the implication is meant to be that Dewey does it.
1: No, uh uh-uh. You can see what happens, but it's super hard to pick up. Okay. He has Dewey's leash. Uh He lets go of it to tie his shoe, and on the ground right next to his shoe, you can see the leash for the dog, and so he picks up the leash from the right side instead of the left side. Yeah.
0: Gosh, that makes more sense.
1: Yeah, I only caught it because I rewatched the scene.
0: Fair enough. So I-, I thought the implication was meant to be that, like, Dewey like switched the leashes while he was doing that.
1: I did too. And then in research for a certain award, Jake, I had to be sure.
0: Okay, fair enough. Actually, uh, may change one of my awards.
1: <laughs> That's fair.
0: <laughs> but then when the uh, starter pistol goes off. Uh, the dog goes running, like, off to the side, completely away from the race. And Hal, thinking it's Dewey, like, runs after, telling Dewey to slow down. Then we get a montage of Hal being dragged, like, all around town by this dog, like, through some streets and through a park. <laughs> at one point, Hal has ended up on a, uh, 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 fuck. Not an elliptical. That's not what those are uh, called. A treadmill. <laughs> there you go. While the dog is just, like, standing there while Hal is running on this treadmill. (laughs) He's got that dedication, Jake. (laughs) Then, uh, this plotline ends as Hal, still being dragged by the dog, uh, like, like, runs into some tape and, like, he feels it with his hands and he gets very excited because he's, you know, finally finished this 5k And as he runs through it, like, throwing his hands up in victory, he starts yelling, I did it! I did it! And then the camera pans out, and we see that he has come across a crime scene. He's running through the police tape, screaming, I did it! I did it! With, like, a chalk outline in the middle (laughs) of the road.
1: (laughs) Yes, he is unwittingly confessing to a
0: crime. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> poor, poor Hal. Laughing maniacally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but from there, we will go to the main plot line, which I think you have named the BW plot for Betty White. No. Okay. What Shut did up, you name Jake. it Of then? course it's
1: for Betty White. Why would I not? You got that one right. You're
0: welcome. Ha! Excellent. I think that's like the third time total. I think so,
1: yeah. But also, yeah, of course it's the BW for Betty White. Dude, I didn't even write down her in-show name. Every time in my notes that she appears, she's just Betty White.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think same. So. Yeah. I remember her name is Sylvia, but I think in my notes it's always Betty White.
1: Yeah, she's just Betty White.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But uh, this plotline starts as Reese uh, walks into the room on the phone and very nonchalantly asks Lois if she wants to talk to dead grandpa's secret second family. (laughs) (laughs) And Lois, of course, is like shocked by this and uh, asks for the phone, which Reese gives her, but tells her to make it quick. He's on the uh, other line with a radio station in Hawaii. (laughs) Which that... Gives me some concerns. Uh, it is Roberta, who is Lois's half-sister, on the phone. And then they have, like, a, a quick phone conversation where they talk about, uh, how Ida has sued Victor's other family. And uh, apparently this, like, protracted lawsuit has finally ended. And she wanted to reach out to Lois because it felt strange having family that she'd never talked to. And it's like a very awkward stilted conversation until Roberta says that uh, she's gonna get herself uh, uh, another diet root beer and they start bonding over all of their similarities.
1: That's right. It's a very Superman versus Batman moment.
0: That's exactly what I was thinking when I saw this. (laughs) (laughs) Your mommy's name is Martha
1: too? (laughs)
0: Yes, there, Martha is root beer. <laughs> root beer. Yeah, I was gonna yes. say, diet root beer, Jake. <laughs> we then see Lois, like, packing up the car along with Malcolm, Reese, and Jamie as they are going on a road trip to meet Victor's other family. And Lois is telling Hal how similar she is to Roberta. They both have five letter middle names. They like movies about British ladies living in tropical countries. They have the same ring size. And they both hope to go skiing someday. Oh boy, I hope I come back with the right one. As they're, they're like loading up the car, Reese has put Jamie in and Jamie is like crying from the car. And he turns to Malcolm and says, Now get ready to put up with this for eight hours. And Malcolm looks at him and says, You put him face down. Look, in Reese's defense. yeah.
1: I have known full-grown adults with children that have also made that mistake. (laughs) Apparently, car seats are confusing to people. I've never had that problem, but I hear others have. What? (laughs) It's one of the many reasons why the hospitals require people to bring their car seats up to the room And be inspected by the nurse before you're allowed to leave the hospital. So that not only can they assure that it's actually, like, up to standards and you have one, but also so that the parents know how to put the baby in it.
0: Yeah, I've, like, had issues with, like, putting kids in cars as far as, like, figuring out how how they, like, latch and unlatch and stuff. I don't understand how you put them face down by accident. Me
1: either. But apparently that's, like... A real thing. And I've, like I said, I've known a couple people who legitimately were confused as to which way the baby goes in. (laughs) I know. They're dumb. They're my friends. But I don't get it either, dude.
0: Okay, then. But, uh, then before they can leave, Lois gets a phone call from Ida, who is upset that she lost this court case. And she says that all she can think of now is death. And she wants to come visit. (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) uh, She she, explains why she lost the lawsuit, because she was never legally married to Victor. There was no paperwork. Oh, dude.
1: This episode, you have no idea how much more this cements that my grandmother on my dad's side is fucking Ida, by the way. Yeah? Like, my grandpa was a way better man than that. Like, he did not have a second family. But, dude, like... There was almost a paperwork mess up. My grandparents almost weren't legally married on that side.
0: Okay. Like
1: it wasn't until my they went to adopt my dad and his sister that they like got it all squared away and also she is 100% this evil lady.
0: Uh, but did your grandpa defeat your grandma's brothers in combat
1: (laughs) no no like i said my grandpa much better person than victor still ended up with an ida somehow i don't i don't know how that works
0: it happens (laughs) but when she says that she wants to visit lois like frantically turns to malcolm and, and like gestures for him to try to think of something an excuse to get rid of her without you know letting her know that that's what they're doing (laughs) <laughs> and Malcolm suggests saying that it's Jamie's birthday, <laughs> and when Loisio you know, says that they're throwing Jamie's birthday tomorrow, there'll be kids and songs, <laughs> Ida <laughs> immediately says, uh, I just remembered, I ha- uh, I have an appointment to get waxed tomorrow. <laughs> uh, having made their way up to Canada, specifically Manitoba, they're, like, standing in front of the door and... Lois is, uh, can't bring herself to ring the doorbell. She says she, you know, just doesn't know how she's going to do this. And Reese reassures her that Canadian doorbells work the same way as their doorbells.
1: Uh, I do appreciate that Reese, like, translates this into Lois is having a physical problem with the doorbell
0: <laughs> yes
1: uh I don't know why but that cracked me up so much
0: then Lois explains you know no I know how the doorbell works it's just weird meeting these people that share our DNA and Malcolm uh, says you know it-, it won't be that weird and he reaches out and rings the doorbell for her and uh, it's Immediately weird as, like, a mirror of all of them opens the door. It is like they're their mom, who kind of looks like Lois, and then a kid Reese's age, who has, like, similar-ish, like, spiked hair, and a kid who kind of looks like Malcolm, who's the same age as him. And they're all, like, of course standing, like, perfectly in the same order.
1: Yeah, they were just looking in a Canadian mirror, Jake. Exactly. It's too polite to show you all the ugliness. (laughs)
0: But, uh, Roberta invites them in, and when they they go in, Lois asks if her mother is there after, like, struggling a bit to, like, figure out how to refer to her, and from the other room, a voice calls out, telling them that they shouldn't have come here, and then Betty White walks out and clarifies, uh, I I didn't have time to make the cookies yet. (laughs) hmm And she, like, stops in her tracks when she sees Lois and says that she looks just like her father and offers her a hug. Dude, I love Betty White so much. Betty White is fantastic. Dude, are we going to get all
1: of the Golden Girls on this show? Because, uh... Uh,
0: sadly, no. This is the only other Golden Girl that we get.
1: Because I was going to say, that would be fucking fantastic.
0: It would have been. Damn. Then, uh, we we see Malcolm... And, uh, this family's version of Malcolm, we we learn here, is named Jerome. As they are a body, Malcolm is, like, explaining to camera how they're, you know, so similar. Uh, you know, that they're much more similar than he and Reese are, despite only being half cousins. Uh, as they're, you know, both, like, really smart, and they both, like, are talking like they're best friends now. As Jerome, like, makes a very nerdy comment, and then they both, like, laugh at it. And he turns to Cameron and says, and he's funny too. Well, don't oversell <laughs> it, Malcolm. And then uh the other brother and Reese come around the corner and they are both wearing hunting vests and carrying guns. And uh this other brother explains that he is going to take Reese goose hunting. <laughs> and he says he was shocked when Reese said he's never handled a gun before. He seems like a natural with it. That seems right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And then, uh, they go off, and Malcolm and Jerome continue talking, and we start getting into the differences between them. As Jerome brings up that he's been put in an accelerated program at his school, and Malcolm says, Yeah, it really sucks, right? And Jerome says, Yeah, it can be really hard. You know, it's hard being, uh, so popular. You know, with all of your different friend groups wanting to come to all of their parties, it's just physically impossible to go to so many. Yeah, you just never have the time. And Malcolm, like, uh, awkwardly laughs and says, Oh, yeah. (laughs) And then he keeps going, saying uh, he can't keep up with all of those parties, plus his homework and hockey practice, and uh, head of the student body, and he has to find time to spend with his girlfriend. Uh, But he says that and and says, Oh, that reminds me. I need to call her. Uh, Malcolm turns to Cameron and says, I'm still holding out hope that she's imaginary. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, Malcolm. Of
1: course you would. <laughs>
0: but, uh, Malcolm does not get his wish as his girlfriend answers and he, like, talks to her about the flowers that he sent her and he's really glad that she likes them. And as he's on the phone with her, Malcolm once again turns to camera and says, uh, you know, it's just so weird how similar they are, but how much happier he is, or, Adrome uh, is than him. Uh, you can't figure out why. And then as he says that, Roberta comes over and asks Jerome, are you on the phone with that girlfriend of yours? And then she says, oh, you know what? It's none of my business. <laughs> and Malcolm just turns to camera and says, oh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would concern me. Like, <laughs> having grown up with, like, dad who was as nosy as Lois like if ever my parents were like oh you know what never mind that doesn't concern me as a child I'd have thought they were getting ready to send me to military school <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think that just means your family is closer to the Wilkersons than this family Dave <laughs> oh definitely <laughs> <laughs> going back into the house Betty White brings Lois some cake that she made for them and talking about how, uh, you know, Victor always spoiled them, and they're, like, going through pictures of their, you know, time growing up, uh, with Victor as Roberta's dad and Sylvia's husband, and they, like, compare pictures as, uh, Sylvia shows Lois a picture of their lake house and talks about a story of them, uh, nursing a bird back to health, and Lois shows them a picture saying, This was the shed in the backyard. One summer we killed some wasps.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of these things just doesn't
0: belong. Then Roberta, like, pulls one of Lois' pictures out and says, you know, It's so cute how you and your sister are dressed like hobos in this. Was that a fun uh, costume party? (laughs) And Lois just says, yeah, fun and very long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lois. Then, uh, looking at another picture, uh, Roberta says, Oh, here's another picture where Dad is pretending to make an angry face and you're pretending to make a sad face. You guys just don't have any serious pictures together, do you? <laughs> and Lois says, Yep, that's us. Just a couple of kidders. <laughs> And Lois, looking at their, like, very happy pictures, says, you know, she can't believe how, uh, happy Victor is in all of their pictures. And Sylvia says, that, you know, he wasn't perfect. Sometimes he would, uh, come home in a bad mood, but she would sit down with him, and they would talk it out, and next thing she knew, he would be back to his usual self, playing with the girls. Lois, like, clearly, you know, overwhelmed by how differently they were raised says that she needs to go for some fresh air, and she, like, walks away from the couch over towards the door, meeting up with Malcolm, who is coming in with Jerome. And they both are, like, looking at this family, uh, together, and they have a little conversation about how, you know, all of this is making them realize how different their lives would- would have been if just, you know, one person had been swapped out. And Malcolm agrees, as they're both, you know, envisioning their lives with a different mother with Lois looking at Betty White and Malcolm looking at Roberta. And then, uh, Malcolm says, and you know what else is weird? Uh, it's gone completely silent the last few minutes. There's no birds or insects. And Lois says, oh yeah, it, it is really quiet. And They turn and see Ida standing in front of the door, looking through the glass at them. And as soon as they turn, she just screams, Judas! (laughs) 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 That's right. They betrayed her. Then uh, she starts tearing into Lois, saying that she immediately knew that it was a lie, like, mocking her voice as, you know, she says, oh, do, uh, we're having a party for the baby mother.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and she says she, uh, l- learns to spot Lois's lies coming out of her mouth before it, from before it had teeth. <laughs> 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 Lois, like, whispers to Malcolm to lock the door, but as he, like, takes a step towards it, Ida barges in. And Victor's other family all, like, like, go running. As Roberta tells Betty White to lock herself in the den and she'll call the police. Lois, like, tries to get rid of Ida Yoshi she tells her to leave, but Ida wants to come in and look at everything that was stolen from her. <laughs> and as oh she, like, boy. looks around at, you know, all this nice house that they have, she says that all of this clearly came from Victor and... That's why they had to live so poor, because he was giving all of his money to this other family. And she, like, walks over to their couch and, like, throws a cushion and says, You see this couch? This was my trip to Paris.
1: (laughs) I mean, to be fair, probably, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Victor, (laughs) real piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, she tells Lois that the reason her and her sister... (laughs) turned out so short and ugly <laughs> it's because Victor was feeding them on beans so he could send her his other daughter to ballet.
1: <laughs> Which is... <cruel.
0: laughs> oh, oh boy. Poor Lois and Susan. <laughs> right. Then uh, Betty White like, cracks open the door to the den that she's locked herself in and she... Tells Ida that in addition to her restraining order, she has a knitting needle. Okay, a crochet hook.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's that Canadian honesty.
0: And Ida starts yelling at her, saying that she knows about Victor's other pension. That she knows that he worked for... I didn't write the name, a a brush company. Yeah, I didn't write the name down either. For four years, and she knows that uh, he has a pension coming from that, and by law, as his uh, common-law wife, that pension belongs to her. And in order to get rid of her, Lois threatens to rip Ida's wig off and show everyone her, uh, tech scars. Which is... what a weird... Saying, And with that threat, Ida marches out, but as she is leaving, declares that this isn't over. Of course it's not. And as she is stopping out, Reese is walking in, very, like, nonchalantly saying, hi, Grandma, as he walks past. <laughs> <laughs> and he says that he had a great time hunting, that Canada is the greatest country in the world. <laughs> and the Canadian brother that, I uh, you know, took him hunting, comes in looking horrified. <laughs> and says, never again. The <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, brings up the horrible, horrible laughter. <laughs> then, uh, we get some more of Malcolm and Jerome together. Malcolm is once again talking to camera as Jerome is, like, uh, with a bunch of his friends from the student body. And Malcolm is talking about how they have the same brain, but Jerome used his to befriend all of the popular, well-adjusted kids who hate him. (laughs) 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 And, uh, Jerome, like, is telling this, like, group of friends... That, uh, he knows that everyone thinks the student body is a joke, but, you know, what? what's so wrong with them, uh, working together to plant some trees to make the campus better for all of them? And everyone, like, agrees and is really into it, and Malcolm once again turns to camera and says, Wow, he took something seriously and no one laughed at him. That's like the triple Lutz of being a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> then as Jerome, like, sits back down in his chair, he, like, breaks through into the chair. And Malcolm turns to camera and says, I'm glad that wasn't me. Then Jerome just, like, laughs it off, and so do all of his friends. And Malcolm turns to camera and says, I wish that was me. (laughs) Then after all of those friends leave, Jerome invites Malcolm to their karaoke night that they're going to have. And Malcolm is, like, shocked that he does karaoke, and says that, you know, he could never do it. he says, I bet you can sing. And Jerome says, no, I can't sing at all. I'm actually pretty terrible at it. And Malcolm says, uh, aren't you uh, worried that people are going to make fun of you and you're going to look stupid? And Jerome says, if you go through life always being worried about looking stupid, you'll never have any fun. And... That's where my opening line comes from as Malcolm turns to Cameron and says, Ha! He forgot about fun at other people's expense.
1: Yep, that sounds like (laughs) Malcolm.
0: Doesn't it, Jake? That sure does. (coughs) Then uh, we see Ida and Lois as they are at the brush company uh, that Victor used to work for discussing this pension. And the, the guy there that are, like, representative is agreeing with them. That this pension should go to Ida it's like a very clear cut case, and if they take it to court, then they will almost certainly win. they just need to get some evidence like blood tests for Lois and Susan and some documents, and they could definitely win, but he informs them that the pension is only for I think it says forty six dollars
1: uh it's like forty three fifty Canadian a month, yeah.
0: And he says that, you know, uh, it would take, by his estimation, 20 to 30 years before they recouped all of the legal expenses. And he says, uh, do you think that you're going to live that long? Oh, God, no. <laughs> and, uh, he tells them that, you know, uh, so that their trip wasn't a complete waste, he's going to go get them a 10% off coupon <laughs> for a toothbrush, the one that he uses. And he, like, leaves them there, and Lois and Ida have a conversation with Lois, like, saying, you know, she's sorry that, uh, you know, this didn't work out for her, uh, but, you know, obviously she's not going to go through with it, but Ida says that she is going to go through with it, they're going to get a lawyer, and they're going to get this pension. And when Lois says, you know, that's ridiculous, he just said you're going to lose money on it, Ida says, he was my husband.
1: That's... Fair. The first human moment from Ida we've gotten.
0: You're not wrong. Then, uh, you know, after having seen this, like, uh, moment of vulnerability from Ida, Lois goes back to Betty White and explains the situation, like, explains how little the pension is and how important to Ida it is that, uh, she just needs her to, you know, sign a release so that Ida can get this pension. And Betty White immediately says, Oh, dear, I don't see that ever happening. And when Lois explains, you know, the the reason that Ida wants this, that you know, she, she just wants to feel this connection to her husband, Sylvia says, I think you mean my husband, and closes the door on Lois's face. And of course, Lois does not take this well, as she starts, like, pounding on the front door, yelling at her that, you know, that this isn't over, and... Uh, that, you know, she can't just ignore her as, uh, Betty White turns her music up and, uh, just completely ignores her like reading a magazine. Then we see Lois now enthusiastically helping Ida with this lawsuit as they are going through documents looking for evidence of this common-law marriage. And Lois has found a cancelled check for Victor's cyst removal with Ida's name on it. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and uh ida has found a picture of the pig that victor was given as part of her dowry
1: <laughs> it was a big pig
0: and when ida starts like talking about how they're going to uh you know show uh, th- this other family and starts to maniacally laugh lois suggests that she might want to work on her people skills before the lawsuit <laughs>
1: I can't imagine why, Jake.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> then Ida asks, what do you mean? She says, well, if you treat people like you care how they feel, then they'll care how you feel. <laughs> Ida does not understand this concept. <laughs> it clearly does not compute for her. And she just says, what are you talking about?
1: <laughs> that, that tracks.
0: And then a paper gets slid under the door of this uh, hotel room that they're staying in. Lois goes over and picks it up, and it is Lois's blood test. And when she starts reading through it, she is shocked when this blood test says that Victor is not her father. And Ida just responds, uh, "I was eighty percent sure he was your father." <laughs> Boy.
1: Ida really, really playing those numbers, man.
0: <laughs> she says, uh, whenever Victor would come home, she would drag him straight to the bedroom. <laughs> but I guess his soldiers got outflanked. <laughs> God. <laughs> when Lois asks who her father is initially, Ida just like dismisses her saying, why do you want to talk about that for? <laughs> <laughs> but but then she does tell Lois that her father is Radu Gurgalski. And she says that the only thing exceptional about him was that he could walk up the stairs on his hands. And when Lois is, like, shocked by this and asks, Is Susan even dad's daughter? Uh, Ida says, Anything's possible. (laughs) But Ida, like, blows it off, saying, We can still forge this document. The judge will never know. But, of course, Lois is, uh, you know, very troubled by this, and she takes Jamie and leaves, no longer helping Ida.
1: What? She stopped helping Ida? Weird.
0: Then we go back to Malcolm and Jerome at their karaoke night as one of the other kids, like, uh, another Canadian kid is, uh, singing Brick Hoose. Yes, it's a Brick Hoose. <laughs> and, uh, Lois comes by and informs Roberta and Betty White, you know, what she has found out, that they are not related at all, that Victor isn't even really her dad. When Roberta is shocked by that, saying, you know, but we're so similar, Lois says, yeah, it's amazing, but the most amazing thing is that it doesn't change anything, because Victor was still her father, uh, and she like runs through a list of uh, you know, stuff that she did to him. Uh, she calls him, you know, a horrible, uh, manipulative monster. Says that, uh, he was her father when he locked her in a closet when she was two, and when he got her drunk when she was eight, and on her wedding night when he told Hal that he could do better. That, yeah, dude, like, uh, Victor's such a monster. <laughs> 100%. And she says, you know, it doesn't matter that he wasn't genetically her father because he raised her, and she knows that he was her father, just like she knows that he was Ida's husband. And she turns to Betty White and tells her, you know, I came up here because I thought me and Roberta were the same, but it's really you and Ida who are the same. <laughs> I'll sign whatever you want. Just never say that again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She, she also tells her that, uh, you know, she hates the wrong person. You know, she's been holding all this resentment for Ida, but she should be angry at Victor because he is the one who lied to both of them. Then uh, Lois goes in to get Malcolm and Malcolm doesn't want to leave. He says he's hanging out with his cousin. Uh, and he's, like, standing up, about to do his, uh, turn on karaoke as, uh, YMCA by the Village People start- is, like, playing in the background. And, uh, Lois tells him, it turns out we're not related to these people at all. Let's go. And Malcolm, having, like, you know, had all of these breakthroughs based on, you know, having Jerome as, like, this counter-example that he wasn't genetically doomed to unhappiness, like, freezes, having all of that, like, pulled out from under him, as he's standing in front of all of these other teenagers, as YMCA starts, and he's just, like, standing there at- awkwardly as the music plays, and Jerome, like, tries to help him, like, throwing up the why, and Malcolm just, like, awkwardly raises his hands in a Y and stands there for like an entire verse of the song and then just drops the microphone and walks away in shame. Then uh, on the front porch as they're about to leave, Reese comes running up covered in mud (laughs) and he tells them that they're going to hear stories about some weird stuff that happened in the woods but not to believe any of it. But he thinks they should get across the border as soon as possible. Yeah, that tracks. That wraps this episode up. <laughs> so, uh, with that, let's go to our awards. Yeah. yeah. Awards. And as usual, we will start with our roller skating keen award. What uh, did you give for the best visual moment of the episode, David?
1: I gave it to the montage of Hal's race. Okay. Because that was great. Fair enough.
0: I love I love all the different things.
1: It's just, just the way that it ends and, like, the detective looking up at him, like, really? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. That was also my first choice for this award. But since you took that, I will go with my backup, which is Malcolm's aborted YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> just oh. such a great, like, Cringe, uncomfortable, like visual gag. <laughs> just right? Malcolm's, like, awkwardly throwing his hands up in the motion, like, clearly, like, very uncomfortable as everyone just stares at him and just, like, sulking away. <laughs> and uh, Moving on to our next award. What did you give your Hot Dog with Mustard Award? Your award for the best line. <laughs>
1: ida when she's talking about victor and the proof of their marriage (laughs) after describing how he battled her father and all of her brothers she says the proof were the bite marks on his back (laughs) which is what uh i don't know why but i love that so what fair uh it was it was between that or the Wait, do you think you'll live that long? God, no! <laughs> oh, I love Ida. She's the worst, and I love her.
0: Well, I gave my hot dog with mustard award to Betty White's line, I don't hate deer, I'm Canadian. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, that's fair.
1: That's fair. <laughs> that's a great line. It is. <laughs> I, Dude, I do. I love Betty White. How
0: can you not love Betty White? Right? But, uh, moving on to our next award. Uh, which of these plot lines did you give the A-plot of your heart? I mean the A-plot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It had Betty White. <laughs> it has Betty White and Cloris Leachman.
1: Right? Yeah, dude. Like, how can you not vote for
0: that? That's 100%. literally gold. Yes. And who did you choose as your favorite character? Oh,
1: So, man, this one was rough for me, but, like, because Cloris Leachman, like, I love her so much, and Ida is so much my grandma, but I had to give it to Sylvia, because we don't get to see Betty White very often in this, and also, just that, like, 90s, 2000s Canadian stereotype mixed with, like, the bitter old lady, like, the, the Canadian take of a bitter old lady was hilarious.
0: Fair enough. I ended up going the other direction, but it, yeah, it was definitely between those two. But I did end up choosing Ida. So oh, yeah. like you point out, this is like the first time we really get like any depth to Ida. We like get to see her humanized much more than we usually do. I guess we yeah. got a little bit in Christmas, but uh, definitely like much more this episode.
1: And it's, it's more relatable, like levels of her humanity, I think is a yeah. big thing. Like, you've got to see some of her humanity in Christmas, but it's also kind of the part where you're like, yeah, but that doesn't really excuse you for being a monster. In this, you really get to see, well, yeah, you're a monster, but you still loved him.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because in Christmas, it was, like, sort of self-destructive. Because, like, we, we saw her, like, as, like, the lonely old lady, but it was, like, very obvious, like, even in the moment that it's because she's such an awful person, whereas this, like, she's... She, she has, like, legitimately been wronged. and is like, legitimately hurt. Yep. Then, uh, moving on to our next award. Who did you, or, uh, what moment, rather, did you give your Chloris Leachman Award? Which is usually the award for Best Acting, but when Chloris Leachman is in the episode, she automatically gets the Chloris Leachman Award, so instead, it is our favorite Chloris Leachman moment. Uh, <laughs> when Reese is talking to Lois, <laughs>
1: and he goes, Uh, Or not Reese, but uh, Malcolm is talking to Lois. And have you heard any birds recently? No, not even a cricket. And then they turn around and it's just her standing there. Judas! (laughs) That was my favorite moment of the freaking episode, man. So good.
0: Fair enough. That that was my backup. I gave my award to her delivery of the line, The truth will burst out of the grave and strangle you and your whole family. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's pretty good. That was pretty funny.
0: Oh. <laughs> man, oh um, she's so funny, man. She is. uh, who did you give your Mrs. Dabney Award, the award for the worst parent in the episode? Uh, I gave it to Ida. Okay, okay, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Look, she's
1: great, but she's great because she's awful.
0: Oh, yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) Uh, that- that is a reasonable choice. Uh, but I think given our feelings about holding people accountable for off-screen actions... I chose Victor for my award. See, so I wanted to choose Victor, but I wasn't sure if
1: you were going to let me since he's dead. I'll give awards to dead people. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Because that was originally, yeah, I was originally going to vote for him. But then I was like, nah, he'll probably fight me because, you know, Victor's dead. But yeah, yeah, Victor, absolute piece of garbage <laughs> see, in this.
0: See, I thought you were going to fight me on it because all of his, the stuff he did happened off screen. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah,
1: but like at a certain point you get shitty enough that, you know, eh. Okay. Also... It has to be off screen. He's dead. I'm a little more lenient on that with, you know, dead characters.
0: Okay, then. Well, uh, (laughs) moving on to our next award. Uh, What did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release.
1: I actually gave it to the comparing of photo albums. Because who the F has photo albums anymore? Grandma's David. (laughs) Uh, Correct. (laughs) That's that's kind of my point, Jake. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough.
1: I think our grandmother and your mom are literally the only two people I know who have photo albums anymore, Jake.
0: Uh, I think my sister does it, but uh, I gave my OK Boomer award to having Betty White as a guest star. That's fair because she was like a like big get for like this era like the the post golden girls era for like tv guest stars like she, she frequently did it and it was like a big deal every time it happened she's betty white she's a big get ever yeah
1: yeah fair like i know what you're talking about and and you're right It's a fair award i'm just saying if you didn't appreciate having betty white on your show you don't deserve a show
0: agreed yeah then that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards. Who did you have as your least shitty
1: kid, David? You know, I had to do some some looking and some research, but after after proving some points, uh, Dewey.
0: Okay, okay. Because
1: he just wanted to not be lied to by his dad and let down by his dad, and he just, he really wants to do things with Hal, but... Uh, Every time they just get ruined, and he's tired of the pain, and I get that.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, well, I, I did have to switch my awards around, Well, once you point out what happened to that scene, because I had misunderstood what had happened, and I now have to agree. I also have Dewey as least shitty kid. He probably still should have stopped Al from being dragged away by oh, that Oh, for dog, sure. But... Knowing that he didn't intentionally do that to him, after you know Hal actually did go through with this thing that he was so certain he wouldn't. Right. I I ha- I have to agree. He is least shitty kid of this. Episode. All right. And yeah. who did you have as shittiest kid, David? Malcolm, of course. Of course. No,
1: really, like of course. Like, look, Reese's off-screen actions aside, which here's the problem. Okay, here's the problem with choosing Reese. Uh-huh. Reese is American, and he went hunting with a Canadian.
0: Uh, okay.
1: They're way too fucking nice. He could have just been a normal hunter. Like, that reaction, not really indicative of a crime to me.
0: Uh, First of all, not necessarily uh-huh. a crime.
1: Well, you know what I mean. Crime against nature, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it.
0: Second of all, there is the ending. Uh,
1: still <laughs> not really. Listen, one. <laughs> Off screen. Two, it's very vague what it could be. He's covered in mud. It was out in the woods. Maybe he just accidentally, you know, made people think that the Sasquatch was real. It's it's very unclear, Jacob. It, it is
0: very unclear, but his wanting to get across the border as soon as possible doesn't fade it in a great light.
1: Eh, maybe he just was tired of hanging out with Canadians.
0: Uh, mm, No,
1: but uh, (laughs) all all that generosity gets old real quick. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: Fair enough. Uh, What do you mean? What's my case for Malcolm? Malcolm's a piece of doo doo. Also, first of all, there's your line that you loved to bring up. He forgot about fun at the expense of others, which was the only form of fun Malcolm could think of. That's pretty evil.
0: I don't know. No, it's pretty evil. I don't know. Fun at the expense of others. It's it's a good time. Big hobby of mine.
1: Yeah, you're also evil. (laughs) You're not helping your case here. You're just proving my point. (laughs) I mean, thanks, I guess.
0: And by others, I mostly mean you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm aware. Um, But yeah, so between that and then there's this like whole his whole pit of despair because he thinks he's biologically unable to be happy and then when he finds out he's not related to these kids despite the very real feelings that he had prior to that all of a sudden he's gonna be all mr self-pity and i can't embarrass myself and and all the shit that he told his cousin fake cousin that was total horse shit yeah whatever malcolm shittiest kid by far
0: i won't agree to the by far part but i do have malcolm as shittiest good i will say i did Uh have dewey initially yeah as shitty as good, because I thought he, uh, you know, intentionally connected Hal to that dog, but... Uh, that's fair. W- with that out of the running, I do think Malcolm just narrowly beats out Reese. If we knew more about the details of what Reese did off-screen, I feel like I might have chosen him. Don't ask for the details, Jake. But the
1: devil's in the details
0: exactly (laughs) (laughs) but given how little we know about what he did in either of his scenarios i did feel like i had to go with malcolm because he is like very like jealous and like wishing bad things on jerome out of like pure uh, out of that jealousy like throughout the episode all right See, you can see reason. And that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple of segments left, starting with WTF is COG, where we try to figure out what Hal's company does and what their acronym of COG stands for. So, David, what the fuck is COG? Oh,
1: well, that's simple, Jake. See, I figured it out this episode. Uh, it's It's got to be this. You see, COG simply stands for Canadian Ophthalmology Group. Uh, Hal very clearly works in an ophthalmologist's office, which is one, how he knows so much about ways to blind himself and ways to do it that he could recover from, and how he knew... That spraying that uh, fire signature in his face would only blind him temporarily.
0: Okay, okay, that adds up. Where does the Canadian come in aside from an unrelated plot happening in Canada this episode, David? Well, that's easy,
1: Jake. See, I, I, uh, you see, he was actually set up with this job by Victor when he married Lois. Because Ah. Victor thought that he could do a lot better. He was trying to help him further his standings and go further. And Hal, you know, needing a job, being down and out, having lost his dentistry practice in the past, he was familiar with the medical world, and he happily jumped at this job. And, of course, Victor, all of his connections were either Russian or Canadian, so it was very clearly a Canadian company
0: that he set Hal up with. Okay, okay. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, moving on to our next segment. I uh, like Jace, just like, we're done with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't have any further questions, David. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm convinced.
1: <laughs> All right. Perfect. Uh, you're convinced because it's the
0: truth. Yeah, clearly. Uh, moving on to our next segment. We have the Chloris connection, because as we all know, all characters played by Chloris Leachman are, in some form or fashion, the same character. When did we decide? (laughs) Well, uh, this uh, episode has a very important Chloris connection, David, because this is not the first time that Betty White has stolen her man. That's true. Because in The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Betty White... Stole Cloris Leachman's husband, Lars, and, uh, her introduction to the series as she played Sue Ann Nevins, uh, who is, like, a fantastic recurring character in that show, who is, uh, the only, like, news company's, uh, like, cooking and homemaking reporter, and is also just, like, a horrible sociopath. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is, uh, interesting to watch, uh, Betty White do, but it's, a, a fantastic character. And she has an affair with Cloris Leachman's, uh, character. She plays Phyllis, who is, like, one of the main cast members. And her husband, Lars, is a entirely off-screen character. But she has a, uh, this affair, and they have, like, this big fight that's, like, the center of the entire episode is this rivalry between the two of them uh for this man that she is married to very similar to this episode uh, to the point that I'm like 99% sure that it's like an intentional homage to that episode okay neat but yeah this uh th- this is round 2 for these two as they uh, compete for the affection of a uh man from Europe who they are both in a relationship with
1: so who's Jolene? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help. Uh, Betty White!
1: <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she took Cloris Leachman's man twice! Ah, <laughs> uh, well. She should have begged louder. That, that, that is also one of my favorite episodes of the, the Mary Tyler War Show. It has like one of my favorite all-time like, <laughs> sitcom jokes in which uh, it's just like Cloris Leachman explaining that she's been studying the behavior of bees and how uh, in the colony the male bees only exist to pleasure the queen bee and after they... Service the queen, they die. It's not what? a bad system. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just one of those lines that has like stuck with me since childhood.
1: <laughs> that's because that's pretty great. And also, it dude, is. I can hear that in her voice immediately. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Mary Tyler Moore show? It's a good show. You know, it's really not that bad. Like, people give it a lot of shit for. Literally no reason. Do they? Well, I should say younger people give it a lot of shit. Not okay. like on the internet or anything, but like when I bring it up. Because it comes up in uh pop culture discussions at work all the time. Cause of course I'm the dude who knows all the pop culture. So I'm like, you know, none of this would exist without and then they're like, Yeah, that show's fucking stupid anyways. And I'm like, You need to walk away before I spray you with OC. Cause <laughs> do not denigrate the great Mary Tyler Moore.
0: Fair. But uh that only leaves one last segment. David's guessing game.
1: Oh yeah. How'd I do this time? I didn't I don't remember what I guessed.
0: <laughs> uh, that, you 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 kinda nailed it. Hell yeah. Uh, you correctly predicted that Lois would be meeting you know, Victor's second family. Uh you also correctly predicted that they would be sort of stereotypically Canadian, uh, and sort of a uh, like, polite, nice version of the Wilkerson's, which is exactly what we got, and you- you also correctly thought that, like, the thing that would, like, b- connect them would be some sort of estate dispute involving Victor's belongings, and the only thing that I knocked a couple of points off for is you sort of waffled back and forth on whether you thought Ida would be in it, and you, uh, seemed to lean more towards Ida probably not being in the episode. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Okay, yeah. But dude, I- I nailed it. Yeah, yeah, I gave you a 98%. Hell yeah. And we have a two-parter coming up for the next couple episodes, so you're just gonna guess for both of them together here.
1: Oh, wow. A two-parter. Yeah. Been a while for one of those.
0: We have Reese Joins the Army Part 1 and 2 as our next two episodes. So, David, what do you think happens in Reese Joins the Army? Reese Joins
1: the Army. Well, Reese is going to go through the process of joining the Army. Uh, I bet you they follow him through, like, MEPS and stuff, uh, which... If you don't know what MEPS is, that's the process where they, like, make sure you're medically fit to serve and all that shit. That'll be interesting. Let's see. What else do I think will happen? I mean... Now, here's the question. Do I think Reese purposely... Well, when was this... Hang on. When was this... This was 2004? Yep. Okay. So, this was right after the big, like, military boom. A whole bunch of guys dropping out of high school or getting their GDs so they could join up because of the push after 2001 uh, I think we're going to get a very like Ernie goes to camp style thing with Reese oh, literally joining the about, army.
0: About, did you just say Ernie?
1: Did I? I meant <laughs> to say Ernest Yeah. I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sitting here thinking and it's no it's definitely Ernest did yeah. I really say Ernie? Yes. <laughs> oh, shit. My bad.
0: Also, <laughs> Ernest Joins the Army is an Ernest movie. <laughs> uh, you know what, go, J- to, I- go to camp?
1: <laughs> because I've only ever seen three of the Ernest movies, and Ernest Joins the Army is not one of them.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> uh, so I forgot that that was an Ernest movie. So bite me, Jake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I, I feel like we're going to get a very, like, that style, you know, that sort of, like, yeah. light-hearted full metal jacket you know what i mean like i would love to oh my god dude i bet you we're gonna get to see reese like in boot camp doing like war games and stuff we're gonna get like the barracks dress down scene where reese gets put in his place i bet uh and he's gonna love it at first <laughs> Okay. Because, dude, the asshole drill instructors are like Reese's mo- like role model until he realizes that he can't talk back to them. God, I could see Reese loving those guys. And that would be just so funny. Yeah, I think, at least for part one, like, in the beginning, I think he's going to enjoy it. Now, the question is, is, does he get sent, does he get tricked, or does he willingly join? Those are the three that I'm thinking. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's 2004 so no he doesn't get sent they can't actually conscript you at that point i think he's gonna join willingly okay yeah sorry i didn't really think about that for a second but i think he's gonna join willingly because i think he's not gonna understand fully what he's doing and i think maybe they're gonna play off of the like very i can't even really call it a trope but like the the mentality at the time was, you know, they were letting young boys sign up and drop out of high school and blah, 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 and they don't know anything about life and they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're giving up. I think they're going to kind of play into that a little bit with Reese. Okay. Yeah, that's that's all I've got, man. <laughs> this is a two-parter, though.
0: This is a two-parter, yes.
1: Do I think Reese gets kicked out? Maybe it, like, turns out Reese didn't actually join, like, the real army and he's just at, like, like a simulation camp for the day or something, or he definitely gets kicked out. I don't think Reese stays in the army. I don't think we have Reese in the army for the next couple seasons. You know what I mean?
0: Gotcha. Okay, well, which do you want to go with?
1: Oh, fuck. That's. Yes.
0: <laughs> That's not an option, David. <laughs> uh,
1: hang on. <laughs> You're making this hard. I try. I know. Uh, (laughs) dude, guessing two episodes off of one title is goddamn. And this is a season finale, huh? Yep. I, you know what? This is a season finale. So there's gotta be, this is 2004. This is a season finale. There's gotta be a hook. I'll bet you he gets deployed. Okay. And that's the cliffhanger. Okay. This is 2004. This is the same year our uncle got deployed. You're not wrong. All right, yeah, that's (laughs) what I'm going with. And that is terrifying, but...
0: (laughs) Okay, is there anything else you want to add?
1: No, I can come up with stuff all day, but I'm not sure how relevant any of it is. You
0: don't want to guess anything else for the rest of the family going on with this, David?
1: No, no... Uh uh-uh. Because um, I can't I can't come up with anything like Fair the enough. title is Reese joins the army Lois isn't gonna be happy about it but I don't know what else to say like <laughs> she's not happy about anything like I could say that all day long
0: you're not wrong okay well that wraps this episode up. Uh, thanks and credit to Jacob Neufeld, who does our intro and outro music. If you would like to hear more of his music, you can find the links to do so in the episode descriptions. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast.
1: If you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray where we play video games, interact with chat, and in general, have a good time.
0: And as always, remember, life is unfair.